You come to see that a man learns nothing from winning. The act of losing, however, can elicit great wisdom, not least of which is uh, how much more enjoyable it is to win. It's inevitable to lose now again. The trick is not to make a habit of it. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Open up with that clip from a movie called A Good Year. You know what? Uh, we learn so much more by losing than we learn by winning. And, uh, you know, we lost big time in uh, 2018 in our elections, and uh, we let California get taken over, completely taken over by the Democrats. We watched the Congress get taken over, the House of Representatives get taken control over. And you know what? If we don't figure it out, if we don't figure out that, hey, if we don't get down in the dirt with the Democrats and fight dirty like they do, we're going to end up learning another ugly lesson. And it might be the end of, end of America as we know it. It's, uh, it's ugly out there. It's getting, it's getting more and more ridiculous. And I'll talk about all that stuff as I go on to uh, all this fun uh, stuff that's going on this week. I'm recording earlier earlier than I normally, I normally record on Friday. Uh, last week I record on Wednesday because, uh, Friday was good Friday. And this week I'm recording on Wednesday because Don and I are, uh, jumping on a plane Thursday morning to, uh, head to New York to screw off for three days. Um, no conferences, no nothing. We're just going to fly there, get an Uber to a hotel. We're staying at the Plaza hotel and, uh, you know, we're going to be home alone too, uh, lost in New York. And, uh, we're staying there. We, uh, bought this package on a, in a, at a, uh, charity auction for the Riverside area rape crisis center it has to be used before the next one, which is the following weekend. And, uh, so we have to, uh, we have to use it up. So we're flying out there just to screw off in New York city for uh, three days, which is a blast. We do it almost every year. And, uh, so, so I'm recording on Wednesday. So who knows what's going to happen on Thursday and Friday that I'm not going to talk about. So if I'm a little premature on some stuff, and you say, hey, how come Ed's talking about this? Doesn't he know this happened? It's because I recorded on Wednesday this week. We'll be back to recording on Friday again. And uh, I'll be uh, I'll be back to my normal timing. But uh, hey, before I go into what's going on, because there's plenty to talk about, even on Wednesday, plenty to talk about that I'm sure you guys aren't all up on and you all want my... Uh, all want my uh, perspective on it. You know, I always say everybody's entitled to their opinion as well as everybody's entitled to mine. So <clears throat> I'm just trying to oblige what you're entitled to. So before I go on, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender, soon to be operating as Summit Funding. So uh, next week I'll start being I'll start being Summit Funding. This week I'm still Wholesale Capital. Next week. We changed, we changed the company completely over. So uh, same great company, same great loan officer, same great service. Everything's still great. We just changed our name. You know, the business environment is changing in the mortgage business, and it just doesn't make any sense to be a standalone island in the mortgage, comp mortgage industry anymore. So we're adapting. We're improvising. We're adapting. We're overcoming. And we joined a great organization called Summit Funding. So anyway, uh, if you're looking to get involved in any fantastic opportunities that are real estate, you need financing, you want to talk to someone that thinks like you, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night. 
toll-free area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch but you don't want to talk on the phone, uh, you don't want me to hear your voice, you don't want to hear my voice, you don't want your neighbor at work to hear your voice because you're stealing time from your boss, go to WCCLoans.com. That's www.wcclons.com. Click on looking for a loan. Click on apply now. Apply now. Give me as much information as you want. Tell me how much information you want back. And uh, either myself or one of my talented teammates, Eric Marquez, Alex Rojas, Cody Bradbury, Aaron Fredericks, or Randy Johnson, we will get in touch with you any way you deem fit. And uh, we'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. If you hear something you want repeated, you can get the podcast on edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net, and uh, go to the podcast page, and you can uh, download this show as well as several past shows uh, and listen to them whenever you feel like it. And uh, you can also uh, get the podcast on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes where you can uh, subscribe for free, and uh, you can have it automatically download to whatever device you're using to listen to podcasts uh, once a week automatically. Um, follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long and facebook.com slash the main event Ed Hoffman is the show Facebook page. Uh, last but not least, if you uh, hear something you want to comment on the listener hotline is 855-640-2092. So let's talk about what's going on. Let's talk about what's going on. So it's been, it's been, uh, over a week since the Democrats got their wish to see the full Mueller report, all 448 heavily redacted pages. Uh, what's in it that we didn't already know about? Uh, not a lot. But for a look at what the media felt was important, here are some excerpts from the New York Times Mueller Report Cheat Sheet. The Mueller Report Cheat Sheet. So uh, what was there a standout moment? Perhaps the most dramatic passage is an account from May 2017. Jeff Sessions, then the Attorney General, told Mr. Trump that Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein had uh, appointed Mr. Mueller as special counsel. According to the notes written by Mr. Sessions' top aide, Jody Hunt, Trump slumped into his chair and said, quote, Oh my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. He said, finishing the thought with a word that we can't print in a family newspaper. And that word starts with F, in case you were wondering. Trump then lambasted Sessions for recusing himself from the investigation, saying his attorney general had let him down. And what I'm really surprised about is that they, that they, that they put this, they put this part in there um, in the report said, Quote, everyone tells me if you get one of these independent counsel, it ruins your presidency, Trump said. It takes years and years, and, it, and I won't be able to do anything. This is the worst thing that ever happened to me. You know what? Because it takes on, a whole different, takes on a whole different flavor with that last part. If you just say, hey, you know what? This is the end of my presidency, and, and finish it with a thought with a F word. Um, that says, hey, it sounds like he's guilty. When uh, you put in the everyone tells me the independent counsel ruins your presidency stuff, puts it in a whole puts a whole different spin on it. You see how uh, if if you don't watch the whole story, if you don't read the whole article, if you don't know the whole thing, sometimes sometimes one sentence can change the whole flavor of something that's being said. So what does the report say about collusion with Russia? In the report, Mr. Mueller's team wrote that they were not looking for collusion because collusion has no legal definition. Instead, they examined whether anyone associated with the Trump coordinated with Russians, which is defined as an, as an agreement between both parties to break the law. The report does not find any evidence of coordination. Again, we knew that. Um, 
but it does offer a rather damning list of interactions between Trump allies and Russians. For example, those infamous tapes from Moscow Hotel in October 2016, Russian businessman, watch this, no, no, no wires, watch me pronounce this guy's name, Georgi <laughs> Richald, Richaldaz. R-T-S-K-H-I-L-A-D-Z-E. Doesn't it, hey, doesn't anybody in Russia know uh know English grammar? You don't have a syllable with R-T-S-K-H. What is that? How do you pronounce that? Anyway, Georgi, whatever his name is, texted Trump lawyer Michael Cohen that he had stopped flow of tapes from Russia. A reference to claims that Trump was caught on video with prostitutes in 2013. A report notes that Report notes, though, that the tapes were likely fake. Because there's a lot of fake stuff out there in video and pictures and Photoshop on the Internet. So, you know, it's likely fake. So the reference that they're talking about is the is the phony Christopher, Christopher Steele dossier, which the firm Fusion GPS paid, paid him to write. And that's not and let's not forget that they were hired on behalf of a law firm shared by the Clinton campaign and the and the DNC, according to New York Times' own reporting in 2017. And they said, after Mr. Trump secured the nomination, Fusion GPS was hired on behalf of Mrs. Clinton's campaign and the Democratic National Committee by their law firm, Perkins Coy, to compile research about Mr. Trump, his businesses, and his associates, including possible connections with Russia. It was at that point that Fusion GPS hired Mr. Steele who has deep sourcing in Russia to gather information. And that's why some Republicans are ready for an investigation on the origins of the Russia hoax since Obama's justice. So let me, so this is why the Republicans are saying, Hey, let's investigate this. How did this whole thing started? Because, Hey, we spent $35 million and two and a half years of a, of a four year, uh, four year um, term of the, of the president grilling him, accusing him of stuff and how did all this stuff start and it was started by by them using the uh the steel dossier so the republicans are ready for an investigation into this since obama's justice department took the dossier to the fisa court and for those of you who don't know what the fisa court is it's the foreign intelligence surveillance act court uh that the trump campaign needed to be spied on so they went to this foreign intelligence surveillance act court the court that administers or uh or uh or um acts on the foreign foreign intelligence surveillance act so hey is anybody uh uh got is dealing with foreigners and they're surveilling stuff in the united states and so we're gonna we're they're gonna they're gonna do stuff that shouldn't be done so we're gonna surveil them and find out so uh the fisa court took this phony dossier and uh, that started the whole investigation. Hey, we brought up, we got, we got this dossier, which is BS. Took it to the court. The court said, "Oh yeah, well, I guess, I guess we should probably spy on him and see if any of this stuff is, if anything uh, unruly is going on." When in fact, the whole thing was BS. They all knew it was BS. Here's Congressman John Ratcliffe of Texas, who sits on the Ethics Committee. The Obama Justice Department didn't just go to the FISA court and represent there was probable cause of collusion that we now know. Uh, didn't exist on a single occasion. They did so four times over a year. What assurances can he give the American people uh, that there will be accountability 
um, for folks who made false verifications about uh, a dossier that was unverifiable because it was entirely untrue. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I want to know why this, why all this stuff happened as well. More proof that all isn't just right-wing propaganda. To this day, New York Times continues to report that the dossier was fake. April 19th, which was, uh, I don't know, uh, this week, a few days ago, uh, New York Times reported, how the dossier ended up loaded with dubious or exaggerated details remains uncertain. A possibility, one that Mr. Steele has not ruled out, could be Russian disinformation. Yeah, that's the ticket. Hey, the Russians gave me the wrong information. Uh, you know, they told me they told me stories about uh, about Trump. Yeah, that's that's it. They told me stories about it. They weren't true. That's the ticket. Yeah, right. Exactly. For liberals, the one bright light of uh, Mueller's report is that it didn't completely exonerate the president of obstruction of justice. On obstruction, there are three incidents in the report that the media is clinging to. Back to the New York Times cheat sheet. Uh, so. Here's the things that they're they're clinging to. For 13 days after Trump asked Sessions to resign in May 2017, the president held on to his resignation letter, showing it to aides on Air Force One. A decision that was warned could could function as a shock collar to influence the Justice Department. Finally, on May 30th, the president returned the letter with a notation not accepted. So hey, this is this is potential uh, this is potential obstruction of justice. Hey, I told I told Sessions that I'm that I'm mad that he recused himself and I want him to resign. So he gives me his resignation letter and I start thinking about the the repercussions and I showed it to a few people on uh, on Air Force One and people warned me not to that this is going to look bad. Well, you know what? I can't imagine that that's obstruction of justice. That um, you know that a guy makes a decision and then before he acts on that decision. He asked for some. He asked for some uh, advice from from people, some other people, and asked for what their opinion is. And he changes his changes his perspective. You know what? I often do that. I often uh, decide to uh, I decide on my opinion of how things are going and who caused it. And I write out a a nasty gram email. And before I do it, I save it in drafts, and I go back there and look at it an hour later. Or I call in someone and say, hey, should I, should I send this? Matter of fact, I did that right before I recorded the show. I did a nasty gram to some people and I asked my engineer here, hey, tell me your opinion on this. And he told me to remove a couple of words that start with F out of it before I did, which I did. And uh, then I hit send. So, uh, you know, it's so, you know, Trump doing that. Is that obstruction of justice or is that just, mm, Let's not be too emotional about this. Let's let's think about this and how it looks. Mr. The, the next thing, Mr. Trump repeatedly called Don McGahn, the White House counsel at home, to order that to order that he have Mr. Mueller removed. McGahn did not follow the direction, deciding he would rather resign than trigger what he regarded as a potential Friday uh, Saturday night massacre. Okay, so he called McGahn at home. So I call my lawyer and I say, you know, tell these guys to stick it up their rear ends. You know, I'm going to tell them blah, blah, blah. Just tell them, hey, you know, this, this is what I think about their lawsuit. Here's what I think about whatever I'd be calling my lawyer for. And he goes, well, you know what? I don't think that's a good idea, Ed. I think you should think about it. So Don McGann said, hey, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to fire Mueller. It's just, it's going to be, it's going to be too big of a deal. And you're going to wish you didn't. It's going to look bad on you. So, uh, hey, so he, he called him and told him. And then his lawyer gave him advice. 
I call my lawyer all the time and I say, Hey, what do you think of this? And what is, guess what? He tells me. And sometimes, Hey, you know what? Get off the emotional part of this thing and think about this logically. You know, do you want to move on with your life or do you want to still fight over the past? Okay. I'll fight over the, I'll, I'll get on with my life. Talks, talks, talks me off the fence. Okay. Here's, and here's the last one. The, here's what the Times called perhaps the most damning evidence that Trump committed obstruction of justice. And if you watch CNN on, or the Sunday shows, you, you know that the rest of the media agrees. After reports that the president directed McGahn to remove Mueller circulated to the press in early 2018, Trump asked McGahn to deny the stories, showing that he was trying to craft a false narrative in the press about the actions. McGahn refused. Okay. Hey, can we just not tell anybody that we talked about this? You know, somebody let, somebody let that out. And, you know, can we just tell them, oh, man, that's just obstruction of justice. Uh, you know what? And that's, you know, of course, of course that's kind of a kind of attorney client privilege. So to make, begin telling that, that uh, Trump asked him to do that. Hmm. McGann's right up there with... Uh, Michael Cohen, I guess, with uh, keeping the keeping things close to the vest. I don't know why anybody needed to know about that. Speaking on the Sunday shows, here's the president, president's current personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. I'll meet the press. Rudy appeared on all three Sunday shows to remind us about where the actual obstruction of justice is and was happening. The president of the United States was an innocent man being charged with something he didn't do. You have to grant that now when they say no proof of underlying crime. There was no obstruction. Nothing was denied him. Uh, nobody uh, uh, crushed uh, cell phones like Hillary did. Nobody uh, deleted 33,000 emails like Hillary's people did. And nobody uh, uh, bleached a server like Hillary did. And while we're on the uh, and while we're on the subject of Hillary and uh, what Hillary thinks about this whole thing, uh, she was speaking at some uh, some event put on by Time Magazine. I'm trying to think. I've seen a few interviews from this event with the same Time Magazine uh, backdrop, but I haven't. I haven't taken the time to find out about the event. But I did listen to the whole interview. Here's a couple little pieces. Uh, they're asking uh, Hil- Hillary's opinion of what her opinion was of the Mueller report. Did Donald Trump obstruct justice? As you read the incidences, as Mueller lays them out. Well, I think there's enough there that any other person who had um, engaged in those acts uh, would certainly uh, have been indicted. But because of the, uh, the rule in the Justice Department that you can't indict a sitting president. Man, is that the pot calling the kettle black or what? You know, I think any other person would have been indicted except for the fact that, uh, you know, this rule. Well, you know what? I think anybody else that would have done what she did with her with her personal server, with her private server while acting as the Secretary of State, I think most people would have gone to jail for that. Seems to me I remember them, uh, uh, Obama Obama administration putting a guy in uh, in jail for taking a picture in a in a in a military sub with his cell phone, and uh, because you know that could be considered, he, you know, he he'd go, wow, this is cool, man, this is cool stuff. He took a picture of it. And, uh, you know, that's against the rules because they don't want these pictures getting out. And I don't know that they got out, but he took the picture and he, uh, he got busted with it and they put him in jail. I know a few military guys that came back from Iraq and, 
had some stuff that they told me they couldn't let me have copies of that were some pretty gnarly footage uh, taken from helicopters in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. And uh, when the beginning of the war happened, it was some pretty gnarly footage taken out. I won't say who it was because I don't want anybody I know to go to jail for such a thing. Uh, it was, I thought it was cool watching, uh, watching some of the things the military does. Um, Hillary continued to babble, babble for a few minutes of meaningless dribble. And, uh, she kind of, uh, concluded it with this. I'm really of the mind that, um, the Mueller report is part of the beginning. It's not the end. Uh, maybe as Churchill famously said, it's the end of the beginning. Uh, because there's still so much more that we should know and that we should act upon. And obviously that's uh, what the Congress is trying to figure out what to do right now. Yeah, I think the attorney general is too. I think there's so much more we should know and we should act upon. We should know how this got started and we should know who paid for it. And I think we should know what the intentions were. And I think uh, when it all comes down to it, that Hillary, you might be in the crosshairs. You might be the one who's going to jail. And then what about Loretta Lynch? And what about James Comey? And what about Barack Insane Obama? I don't know. I think uh, I have a hard time thinking that he doesn't know anything about this stuff going on. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if uh, Bill Barr has the has the cojones to, uh, to carry this out. So uh, now that they can't demand full release of the report anymore, Dems have Democrats have gone back to making uh, impeachment their war cry. Started with Elizabeth Warren last weekend, who was actually smart enough to be the first of the Democrat 2020 candidates to say she disagrees with Pelosi on this. You've heard her say all week now, uh, but here's the, here's but here's where she first said it at one of her rallies. I have called on the House to initiate impeachment proceedings. Wasn't that wonderful? This woman is so smart. You know, and if, you, if you've been hearing all week, in addition to that, she's calling on the United States that, you know, if she's, she's calling on all voters to put her in as president because she's, she's going to, uh, she's going to um, relieve college people or people that have gone to college have student loans. Oh, I don't even think she said they had to be college graduates. I think anybody who has student loans... Uh, she, and, uh, that doesn't make a hundred thousand dollars. She's going to, she's going to give away $50,000 worth of debt. She's going to, she's going to relieve them of that. She's going to forgive $50,000 of debt for each person making less than a hundred thousand. And I want to say, why, why is that? Why, why do people that didn't graduate or didn't use their college degree or why are the one that they authorize the use of this money for useless, uh, useless, uh, um, degrees why should they walk away uh, from the debt because you know who pays that us taxpayers i don't know it's one and a half trillion dollars that she's talking about um why mm, because the government decided to give guaranteed student loans you don't have to pay it back if you don't if you don't uh graduate and since they never graduate anyway we just gave away free money i don't know Maybe it's just me. Uh, so now all the other Democrat candidates are being asked whether they agree, and of course most of them claim they do. Here's Kamala Harris. I believe Congress should take the steps towards impeachment. I'm also a realist. 
and the Republicans hold a majority. I've not seen any evidence to suggest that they will weigh on the facts instead of on partisan adherence to to being protective of this president. And that's what concerns me and what will be the eventual outcome. So we have to be realistic about what might be the end result. But that doesn't mean the process should not take hold. Yeah, that's BS. You know, thinking she can't depend on the on the Republicans to stand on principle that they're going to do it as this whole thing is partisan politics because they know damn well they don't have anything they could impeach Trump over because you got to commit commit some kind of high crime or misdemeanor to be impeached. So, and many of you have heard the Democrats heard a closed door caucus meeting this week to discuss whether there'll be an official shift on the matter of impeachment. Um, Nancy Nancy Pelosi sticking to her guns. This isn't about Democrats or Republicans. It's about saving our democracy. We don't have to go to articles of impeachment to obtain the facts, uh, the presentation of facts. Anyway, uh, Trump says he's not worried about it, and I don't think he should be. Anyway, uh, I'm all out of time for part one of the main event. Stay tuned for five minutes of uh, traffic, weather, commercial, and sports, and I'll be back right back with some more stuff that's going on in this country. Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman. President Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct direct mortgage lender, soon to be Summit Funding. This will be my last week as uh, Wholesale Capital. Next week I'll be Summit Funding. So, uh, but if you, I don't talk a lot about real estate and financing on this show because most of you probably think it's boring. But if you are in the market to buy a new house to live in, buy a new house for a vacation home, buy a new house for a uh, investment property, buy a new house to get your kid to move off your uh, your couch, uh, maybe uh, get them off their butt and uh, get them using their college degree so they can pay their student loans off, and uh, maybe a house to live in and motivate them with a little debt um, to put their family in, I don't know, uh, if, or if you're in the market to uh, refinance a property you already have, or if you're a senior, and I know there's a lot of seniors listening, uh, you're interested in one of those reverse mortgage things. And if you think, Hey, I would never do that. I, you know, I want to leave my, I want to leave my house to my kids. I don't want to reverse mortgage. Trust me. You don't understand them. If you, if you have equity in your house and, and you haven't looked into a reverse mortgage to enhance your, your, uh, your options in your retirement, if you haven't looked into it, you're missing out. You should at least check it out. So anyway, if you want to, if you want to find out, call me toll free at 855-640-2020, 855-640-2020, day or night, or go to wccloans.com and uh, go to looking for a loan, apply now, put in much information as you want, tell me how much you want back and we'll get back to you. So anyway, let's continue talking about what's going on. We've been talking about uh, the Mueller report coming out and the Democrats want to impeach Trump and it's all just a bunch of, bunch of hooey, but realize we got to stand up to this stuff, guys. We got to stand up to this. We got to we got to not take 2020 for granted. You think, hey, you know, these guys are going to put these these uh, these Democrats. They can't beat Trump. We got to not sit on our laurels and just assume that there's any common sense because there is no common sense in this country anymore. So anyway, uh, everyone's talking about the big announcement this week. By the time this airs, America's most gaff-prone former Vice President Joe Biden will have announced that he's running for president for the fourth and final time. 
Yep, this is being recorded before Joe's video announcement was released on Thursday. But I'm sure it was just as polished and professional as everything Biden's done over the years. And that's not saying much. In fact, we already know two ways that they flubbed the announcement before it was even made. First, Biden's people said it would happen on Wednesday. Then they changed to Thursday. Then it was supposed to happen as a, at a live event in Charlottesville. Then they decided it was in bad taste, which it is, because they wanted to uh, do it in the anniversary of the Charlottesville protests where somebody drove down a, some white supremacist dro- drove his car and hit a black person and killed her. And uh, her or him, I don't remember. Um, but I just remember that's what they were trying to coordinate it with. So the decision was made to make a video announcement because the video Joe made last month was so well done, you know, where he sat there and said, hey, you know what, I understand, you know, people don't want to be touched and their their space is private. Hey, I get it, man, I get it. And then he joked about it all the time, and which to me, as I said on my show, you know what, I think people got their got their knickers in a twist on this one, and I think uh, Joe's just a touchy-feely guy. I don't think he means anything by it. And yeah, he's a little creepy, but hey, some people just are too touchy-feely, and they somebody just needs to tell them, hey, you know what, you're creeping me out. Maybe they'll get the... So I guess that was a way of doing it publicly. So uh, here's what one Biden, one of Biden's former aide told Time Magazine about this awkward rollout. Uh, the, time, the former aide on the campaign uh, talked about said, quote, I've never seen anything so half-assed. They're, they're improvising and doing last-minute planning. This guy's been running for president since 1987 and can't figure the basics out, like where to stand on his first day. This should make everyone very nervous. You know what? This stuff's coming from Biden's people. I guess people will, I guess people don't, I, I guess people need jobs that bad that they'll just work for a, for a buffoon and uh, be part of his staff. Uh, that's not what the unemployment numbers say. Hey, maybe he's paying really, really, really good. And yet Ohio, the Iowa Democratic Caucus polling has Biden neck and neck with Bernie Sanders, both with them as 19, at 19% as front runner. 19% is the front runner. You know what that means? That means nobody knows squat about who's who it's going to be. Could be one of them bozos from, uh, from uh, Minnesota or... Let's see, there's a Hawaii congressperson that nobody knows, and there's Kirsten Gillibrand. She's a moron. She just got out of high school last week. Uh, apparently, it took her extra 17 years because she has to be at least 35 to run for uh, for for president. So, uh, But anyway, the bunch of, bunch of nincompoops running. Uh, and if you ask Newt Gingrich, it's Bernie who's going to be the last man standing at the end of this. Uh, if you're talking about... The Democratic nominee for president, I think they've got a huge problem. I think they're very likely going to get Sanders. Uh, we'll have a straight-up fight. I mean, if you think socialism works, if you love Venezuela, if you always wanted to be in Zimbabwe, if you think Cuba is the future, uh, you're going to have a candidate in the Democratic Party. Which brings me to something I wanted to read to you. Here's a summary of the life of Bernie Sanders. And somebody sent this to me eh, a few weeks ago. And uh, I go, wow, that's interesting. And I... And I I sent, I, I looked on Snopes and I searched the internet and I can't find anything anywhere that confirms that, that denies any of this stuff. I found some things that confirm some of it. And, uh, so I'm just assuming this is all real because most everything seems to check out. So Bernie Sanders father was a high school dropout who tormented his family with rants about financial problems. 
Uh, he blames society and economic inequality for his plight, though as a white male in a middle-class neighborhood, he was hardly among the downtrodden. Okay, so Bernie Sanders had a Jewish guy, uh, grew up in a Jewish family, that uh, dad was a, a high school dropout and and whined about economic inequality and and blamed the and blamed his the blamed everything everybody else for his plight. Kind of sounds like my own dad, uh, but you know what? I I succeeded anyway. So uh, and you know what? I I what I did different than Bernie Sanders is I said, hey, you know what? I see my dad had had a big mouth. He had some ideas, but he never acted on them. And whatever he started, he never finished. And uh, he basically was just a, not a nice guy. I saw how he treated my mom and my how he almost uh, almost killed my brother one time. And uh, you know, I, I just I say, you know what? This is a guy that is a perfect example of everything I don't want to be. And I and I went after my own personal goals. And I used him as a as a model for what I didn't want to be. Apparently, Bernie just jumped on the same train. Hey, Dad's Dad's a whiner. I'm going to be a whiner. So this was Bernie's inspiration to take up the cause of economic justice. Though he would spend half his life as an able-bodied college graduate, living off unemployment checks and the women in his life, because you know he is a handsome, suave dude. Uh, by his own admission, Bernie was not a great student, starting at Brooklyn College and transferring to the University of Chicago, but his enrollment kept him protected from the draft. Well, you know, well, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, do very good in college, but at least I kept me from getting drafted. All right. This is the guy we want leading our country because he, he hid from the, he hid from the draft. Okay. He joined socialist organizations and dabbled in far left communist politics gaining national notoriety by petitioning by petitioning the school to let students have sex in the dormitories. Well, hey, no wonder college kids love him. Say so, so again, let's read that again. He joined a socialist organization and dabbled in far left communist politics, gaining national notoriety by petitioning the school to let students have sex in dormitories. Well, you know who wouldn't who wouldn't be excited about that if when you're in college. Okay, so he participated in a 1963 march on Washington a few demonstrations, and was arrested once. But his activism for civil rights ended when he became obsessed with socialism. Not democratic socialism, but oppressive far-left Marxism. Bernie married his college sweetheart, Deborah Schilling, and spent his small inheritance on an 85-acre summer home in Vermont. The shack had a dirt floor and no electricity, so he maintained his street cred. Uh, but that didn't impress his new bride. He refused to get a steady job, so his wife divorced him after 18 months. Uh, so he got an inheritance. He buys a buys a house on 85 acres um, that has no doesn't have floors, just has dirt, and uh, doesn't have didn't have electricity, and moved his wife in there. And she divorced him after 18 months. I think my wife would have divorced me after about 18 minutes. So apparently, uh, he must have really had something attractive more than I would. So anyway, uh, to protect himself from Vietnam war draft, Bernie applied for his conscientious objector deferment when his deferment. So conscientious objector means, Hey, you know what? I, on the basis of, I'm a, I'm a peace guy. I'm a peace guy. Um, let's see. There was a movie about the guy in world war two. That was a conscientious objector. It was called. It was a good movie. It was just out a year ago. Uh, I can't remember it. I'll think of it. 
I'll think of it and tell you next week. When his deferment was denied, he dodged the draft by having a kid in 1969 with his new girlfriend, Susan Mott, even though he still wasn't working and had no way to support the child. By the time his number came up, he was too old for to, to be drafted anyway. So here's a guy. He's dating this girl. He doesn't want to be drafted. So he knocks his girlfriend up so he can say, hey, man, I've got a kid. I got a kid here, so I can't I can't go to war because I'm a father. Nice guy. Bernie subsisted on odd carpentry jobs and unemployment checks, occasionally selling a $15 article that he wrote, including one about how women fantasize about gang rape. He still refused to get a steady job to support his child, and his girlfriend left him. So this one in particular, I said, you know what? I wish I could get a copy of that article where he uh, did an article about how women fantasize about gang rape. And you know what? I, I found it, and I started to read it, and it just was kind of disgusting. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to read this. But this guy this guy is a slime ball. Bernie Sanders is a slime ball. He's, he grew up as a slime ball. He became a slime ball as he got older. I don't say he grew up, but he got older. And he's a dirtbag. In 1988, he married Jane Driscoll and took Cold War-era honeymoon in the Soviet Union. His new wife supported Bernie financially through his many attempts to win a public office. They visited the pro-Soviet Sandinista government in Nicaragua, known known for their human rights violations and support for anti-American terrorists. They traveled to Cuba in hopes of meeting Bernie's hero, Fidel Castro, but access to Castro was denied. Okay, what, what about this says this guy should be our president? Be afraid, very afraid. Bernie Sanders managed not to hold a full-time job his entire life or vote in a single election until he finally ran for mayor of Burlington, Vermont at age 40 and eventually win a Senate seat, which he has managed to keep off and on. So he he's lost it a couple times and then got it back. Here's a guy who's never accomplished anything. Is that the kind of president we want? Oh, wait, we had one of those. Uh, Barack Obama. Oh, yeah, you want another one? People need to talk about this stuff. We need to talk about this stuff. We need to know who this guy really is. I said, I said in the in the the months uh, leading up to the election of Barack Obama the first time was, hey, we don't know enough about this guy to let him date our daughters, much less run our country. And uh, then four years later, I said, hey, now we know who this guy is. We need to be very afraid, and we still reelected him. I don't know what America's. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. We need to. We need to pass some uh, some voter ID laws. We need to pass some. Hey, if you're not smart enough to uh, to think your way out of a wet paper bag, you don't get to vote. Bernie Sanders wants to let felons vote, murderers in for life sentences and on death row. He wants to let them vote. Well, you know they're paying their price. They should still keep their right to vote. Why do you think uh, why do you think Elizabeth Warren wants to give fifty thousand dollars of uh, of forgiveness on student loans? Because you got a bunch of young people that want to get rid of it, and they're going to vote for her because they get free stuff. I saw one one uh, one uh, you know the one I saw one of the things, and it says Bernie Sanders is announcing on his first day he's going to order them to to plant a bunch of those magic trees, the one that they grow the free stuff on them. All right, okay. I thought that was funny when I read it. I'll put it on my website. Uh, so he, uh, let's see here. Uh, in all his years representing Vermont, Bernie Sanders passed a total of three bills. 
Two of them were naming post offices. I hereby want to name this post office in Vermont after the maple trees. Maple tree post office. I want to name this one called Bernie Sanders post office. Whatever he did. it. That's, that's what he's accomplished in all the years in, in, the, uh, in the Senate. Um, he's a draft-dodging, deadbeat, deadbeat dad, globe-trotting communist, and a petulant de- detractor of honorable Democrats. His one skill is yelling about how unfair the world is and how everything should be with no plans on how to make it happen. Aren't you guys proud, those of you that, hey, you know what? You know who, 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 rep- who uh, supports this guy? A bunch of kids. We need to talk to kids and make them understand this is not going to make our country great. Former employees and co-workers describe him as hostile and belligerent. All the Democrats in the Vermont's government endorsed Hillary Clinton over him. And all his supporters cannot, cannot explain how he's qualified to be president. And yet he almost won last time. What are we thinking? It's amazing. It's, it's just amazing to me how stupid this is. And we can't sit. You know, you guys need to get, it, need to get involved as we get, get into the 18 months before this election. And uh, I will probably start talking about how people can get involved. But, you know, how the Democrats registered a gazillion people between the time uh, Trump was elected and the 2018 18, uh, 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 elections, they nominated a gazillion people to be, uh, to be Democrats. And they organized people to do uh, ballot harvesting and to go collect people's ballots and turn them in. And all these ballots that came in afterwards, you notice that there's a bunch of a bunch of offices around the country that Republicans won. And then a week later, they counted all the all the absentee ballots, and all of a sudden, they all switched over to Democrats. What a coincidence! What a coincidence! You know. Things, things don't happen. Things, things aren't coincidences. These things are coordinated. And one more thing. Listen to his response to young voter in, C- in the CNN town hall in, in New Hampshire this week. She's asking Sanders about his position that felons should vote, even while they're still in prison and apparently even if they're domestic terrorists. Does this mean that you would support enfranchising people like the Boston Marathon bomber, a convicted terrorist and murderer? If somebody commits a serious crime, sexual assault, murder, they're going to be punished. But I think the right to vote is inherent to our democracy. Yes, even for terrible people. Who listens to this guy? Who buys his book? Here's a guy. Here's a guy who wrote a book and made a made a whole bunch of money on it. And while he's telling everybody they should all share their money, how come he didn't share his money with everybody else? Hey, you know what? You should share that money with all the rest of the Democrats. Nope. You you were against the the tax cuts. You should voluntarily pay the higher rate before Trump dropped. Nope. Not gonna do it. This guy is a hypocrite from the word go. And I think he. Uh, I think. I don't remember the the he released ten years of his tax returns and I think he uh, his amount that he gave to charity was like point three of one uh, of one percent. I don't think God's gonna let him uh, get into the gates of heaven if that's if that's his opinion of tithing, uh, and if and if he's trying to be the example if he's trying to be the president of our United States and that's the example he sets about helping people. Well, if you want to help people, open up your wallet.
Help some people. All right. So we continue. Uh, here's an, and here's, here's the next thing that happened this past weekend on Easter, Easter Sunday, another country, apparently another country, another slaughter of innocent people. This time the location was Sri Lanka, uh, where a series of bombs targeted Catholic and evangelical church churches and foreigner friendly hotels on Easter Sunday, killing more than 300 people and wounding another 500. Um, and in case you don't know where Sri Lanka is, it's a big Island just South of India. So uh, unlike what happened in the cathedral in Notre Dame in France, this was no construction accident. This was a calculated attack on Christianity. The National Christian Evangelical Alliance of Sri Lanka reported an increase in attacks on Christians last year in their country, cataloging 86 incidences. And even though thoughts and prayers are not enough, if an attack is made with a gun on American soil... They're more than enough when the attack is made on with an explosive in another country. Listen to these suspiciously similar tweets from Hillary and Hillary Clinton and, and Barack Obama. And uh, and remember that coincidence thing. And remember that thing where I say that the the Democrats get together and have a have a have a conference call once a week and say, "Here's the word we're going to use. Here's the word we're going to use this week. We're going to call the Trump shutdown. Use Trump shutdown in everything you say." Or what was it last year, uh, last week? Uh, uh, inciting violence. Inciting violence. Everyone's going to use inciting violence. Use that when we talk about Trump and uh, his and his uh, and his insults on Elon Omar. So apparently uh, this weekend was their uh, their thing was Easter worshippers. So Hillary Clinton on this holy weekend. This is her tweet. On this holy weekend, for many faiths, we must stand united against hatred and violence. I am praying for everyone affected by today's horrific attacks on Easter worshipers and travelers in Sri Lanka. Well, Easter worshipers, another another name for that is called Christians. But we don't want to talk about Christians being attacked by Muslims because ISIS apparently uh, apparently uh, took credit for it. So it was Muslims killing 300 Christians. Barack Obama said... The attacks on tourists and Easter worshippers, another word for Christians, in Sri Lanka, are attack on humanity. On a day devoted to love, redemption, and renewal, we pray for the victims and stand with the people of Sri Lanka. Do you think uh, that Easter worshippers think, hey, Easter worshippers, how would you come up with a with a with a with a uh, with a phrase like that? And Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama both came up with the same thing. Uh, maybe Hillary and Barack are the same person. Maybe they have the same person putting out tweets. I mean, you know, you know, if if Donald Trump isn't the one tweeting the stuff that he tweets, he if, if someone else is actually typing that into Twitter, if somebody else is taking taking the words from Donald Trump. Because you know that no professional tweeter would tweet some of the things that he tweets. If you look at the stuff that I tweet, eh, I have someone that tweets for me once in a while. But most of the time, it's me coming right out of my mouth. And especially if it's if it's nasty, if it's nasty and and, and ugly and uh, and very opinionated. Uh, every now and then, I have I do a something inspirational. That's usually that's usually somebody tweeting for me. Hey, I'm gonna tweet this for you. Is that okay? Yeah, all right. 
it's just so it's just so nice. I don't want people to think I'm that nice. So anyway, except for my except for my clients. Um, but when it comes to to politics, hey, I'm a realist guy. And what is exact what exactly is an Easter, Easter worshiper? They can't even say the word Christians. Once again, here's Newt Gingrich. There is a war against Christianity. We ought to be clear about that, just as there's a war against Semitism. I mean, if you look at anti-Semitic actions in France, 4,000 anti-Semitic actions last year. If you look at the number of churches burned down, people focus on Notre Dame because it's so big. But there are a lot of other churches being vandalized in France. You look at the Christians who were killed, and I thought it was astounding that neither President Obama nor Secretary Clinton could describe them as Christians. Somehow they both, in parallel, came Easter. up with the term Easter worshipers, uh, which I thought was, I mean, you have to wonder, how could they both come up with the same term the same weekend? Apparently, uh, Newt and I think a lot the same, which is why I thought he would be a great president, and I still think he would have been a great president. He's probably a little too old now because he's uh, probably a little younger than Bernie Sanders and uh, and Joe Biden. Um, but he's still, uh, I think, uh, I think Newt knows his time came and passed. And you know, and and my personal, he's you know, he's saying there's a there's a war on Christians. I think there's, I think, based on what I see in my crowd, that. There seems to be an anti-war coming back. I think God is making a resurgence because I know for me and my wife and a lot of people that we know, it seems like there's just a, a bigger movement to get people back to church and get people back to back to uh, back to God and spirit be spiritual and and start thinking about you know what's right and what's wrong. And I just maybe I don't know if you guys. Call me and put a put a message on the uh, listener hotline eight five five six four six four zero twenty ninety two if you think you have a comment on that. I just think there's a there's a resurgence of people wanting to get back to God and and putting God in this country again. And uh, quite frankly, I'm on that train. Hey, anyway, I'm all out of time for uh, this episode of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back again with you next week. Views expressed on this program are Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 01147747, NMLS 9873, and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB number 0937346.